0: Today, I really want to kind of be a lot different in a sense, and I want to talk to you today about the giant that you can't kill, the giant you cannot kill. Let's go to our text as we're in our scripture that we're using every week throughout this series, and it says, may the God of peace himself make you entirely pure and devoted to God, and may your spirit, say it with me, may your spirit And soul and body, that's everything that we're made up with, our spirit's God conscience, our soul is world conscience, our mind, will, and emotion, and our body's the vehicle that carries both. He said, let your spirit, soul, and body be kept, say kept, kept. which means to be managed, to be managed, to be kept strong and blameless until that day when our Lord Jesus Christ will come back. How many would love to see your life blameless and strong daily until Jesus comes back? Amen. Amen. And so we're, we're preaching a series with you and Pastor Brad is going to be coming up with me and others are going to be joining me and we're going to be dealing with this series called Real Talk, Real Talk. But today I want to talk to you about the giant you can't kill. Here's the scripture, it's too long to put on the screen, so I'm just gonna give you the Dan Livingston version of it. It's found in 1 Samuel 17, it's written in your notes. But it's the story of a young guy called David, and if you've been in church long, you've heard the story. Anytime David's mentioned, we hear about the giant killer. And David was just a teenage boy. His brothers had all been trained for battle, except David. David had not been trained yet. His job was to watch the father's sheep. And then at times on daily basis, he would go down and take lunch to his brothers. And one day he takes lunch to his brothers and he hears this massive giant come across the mountainside into the valley. And he's cursing the God of Israel. And all the soldiers are there, including David's brothers, and they're doing nothing about it. And David shows up and goes, hey, why don't one of you guys go out there and shut the mouth of this giant? And they're all like, have you not seen how big he is, you know? And and David goes, somebody needs to go and kill him. And David's elder brother gets mad because he's jealous says, oh man, why don't you go home and take care of your sheep? But Saul heard that David, King Saul had heard that David made that statement. So he sends for David. David comes in and meets with Saul. And Saul goes, what are you talking about? And David said, somebody needs to go kill this giant and shut him up. He's cursing the God of Israel. And Saul goes, well, it sure can't be you. And David goes, well, you don't understand. The prophet came to my house a while back, and he anointed a new king of Israel, and that happened to be me. It's just not my time or season yet for that position. But he anointed me with some oil, and it went from my head to my feet. And he said, I went back to the sheep, but a lion came, and that anointing became real in me, and I killed that lion with my hands. And he said, then a bear came, and that anointing came over me again, and I killed that bear with my hands, and this Philistine will be no different. And Saul said, okay, we'll try it. And he put all this armor on David, and David couldn't even carry it. He, it was so heavy. And he said, I don't really need your stuff, but I have a slingshot that I use to protect my sheep, and that's all that I need. And the Bible said he confronted Goliath in the valley. Goliath laughed at David and mocked him and said, am I a dog that you would send a boy to take care of a man? And He looked at David and said, boy, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to feed the flesh of your body to the birds of the air. And David, without hesitation, looked at that giant and said, That's only in your thoughts, sir. He said, But I'm gonna take you out. He said, You come against me with a sword and a shield and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he said, I'm gonna take your life, I'm gonna cut your head off, and then I'm gonna feed your body to the birds of the air. And he did it. The Bible said he took that slingshot. And let a stone go and hit the giant in the forehead. He fell to the ground dead. David marched over, took the giant's sword out and cut his head off and held it up in the air as a triumphant victory. And the Philistines fled and Israel stepped into victory in the midst of the battle because David killed the giant. And this is the story that we often think about when we refer to David, when we consider him the giant killer. He became the hero of the day. Historians tell us that that the women would take tambourines and dance in the street and sing songs that were written about David, that Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. David was elevated and lifted up all throughout the land, but there was an issue because Goliath had four sons, and they grew up hearing these stories of this young boy that not only killed but humiliated their father in front of thousands. And one of those sons waited. He he waited 40 years to avenge the death of his father, Goliath. He heard how this young boy had taken the life of his dad, how he had humiliated him by taking out his own sword and cutting his head off and holding it high and taking his head to the city of Jerusalem. He heard all of those stories, and he waited 40 years to avenge the death of his father. Can I tell you today, that Satan does not mind waiting 10, 20, 30, or even 40 years to come and take you out. Matter of fact, he would rather take a little time and let you build up a testimony, let you build up a reputation of being a Christian and get some people that believe in you and following you. He would rather give you a season to build a reputation as a person that follows Jesus and then take you out because then he'll take not only you out but your testimony out with you. He waited 40 years. So today, I want to take you through a journey on the giant that David could not kill. Because inside of every one of us in this room today, so before you think that I'm preaching to the person next to you, I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to me. Because every one of us in this room, how many believes that God's a pretty smart guy? Come on, I don't say that sarcastically, but how many thinks he said that his foolishness is greater than our wisdom? And he knew what he was saying when he had the men pen the Word of God, the Bible, and they said that, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities. And he said that, that, that we're weighed down with these weights. He said that these sins and weights that so easily beset us. And he said sin, plural, or, or singular, and weights, plural. And he said the word beset, and that word beset means ambushed, to come against unknowingly just ambush us. And how many would acknowledge with me today that there's like one area of our life that if we could just get total victory in this one area, one area of my life, it may be offense, it may be an abusive situation you went through, it may be your own personal failure, it, it may be unforgiveness, it may be bitterness, but there's just this one area that seemingly won't go away and if I could just get victory in this one area of my life, I would be a victorious person. Make it identify with that. It's like Satan keeps coming back to this one area in our life. But first of all, I want to focus on David's problem. David's problem. 2 Samuel said, When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Then Ish-bib-nab, who who is one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, because David took the sword of his father. So he's carrying a new sword, thought he could kill David. Watch this. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine, and he killed him. I want to take you on a journey of David's conflict with a giant that he could not kill and let us identify and see where we fit in that story today. The first thing is the persistency of the enemy. The persistency of the enemy. The scripture said the Philistines were at war again with Israel. How many has found out that just because you won the battle today doesn't mean the war is over? How many's found out that when you go to sleep, the devil doesn't? and and he comes back continually persistently over and over and over and david now is 60 years old and he's fought many many battles And here he is, 60 years old, the giant killer, but the devil hasn't gone to sleep because David's older. The Bible said that the enemy continued to come back over and over again. Don't lay down your weapon or take off your armor because you've experienced victories in your life does not mean the battle's over. There's still a race that must be won. Luke 4 says, talking about Jesus, and Jesus answered and said to him, This is Jesus after 40 days of fasting. His body is weak. Satan has come to tempt him in every way fashionable. And Jesus answered and said to Satan, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, watch this, he departed from him until an opportune time. And if you study out the original meaning of that word there, what it means literally is that Satan sat on the shoulder of Jesus and just followed him around everywhere he went, waiting for that moment of weakness, waiting for that open door that he could immediately come in and cause failure and destruction to come into the life of Jesus. And I wanna say it hasn't changed today that because we've killed a giant, because that we've won a war, because that we've been victorious in a battle, don't ever think that the enemy has taken his hands off of you. He is persistently seeking you out, but he doesn't mind waiting. He doesn't mind just sitting on the backdrop until all of a sudden you've been hurt, you've been wounded, you've been offended. Your faith has been attacked. Your faith is weakened. All of a sudden your joy isn't where it used to be and your prayer life isn't what it used to be and you're not worshiping like you used to and you become vulnerable. He doesn't mind waiting 5, 10, 15, 20, or even 40 years as long as he can take you out before the race is over. He's persistent in his attack. Number two, we see that there was a limit to David's endurance. There's a limit to our endurance. The Bible said David grew faint, the giant killer, the one everyone was singing songs about, the hero who killed the massive giant with just a slingshot in front of thousands has now grown weak and faint. He's not a teenager any longer. he's uh, He's an elderly man. He's 60 years old. He's endured many battles and conflicts. David has suffered moral failure. Himself. He's failed in adultery. He's had another woman's husband put to death in battle. He's watched crisis hit his family. He suffered the horrible anguish of watching one of his own little children die. David is a man that has been through one battle after battle after battle after conflict after conflict. And now the enemy comes again to rage war against the nation of Israel and David. And David girded himself up like he always did. He armored himself to battle. He even went into the battle, the scripture said. But once the battle started, he realized something's different this time. I don't feel the strength that I always felt. I don't feel the confidence that I always had because he had grown weak and faint. And when you study that out, the key word there is exhausted that he became exhausted and the enemy wants to exhaust you through his persistent attack, through his persistency in his battle and attack against your life. He has a plan set up. He just wants to exhaust you and remove your faith and your joy and your hope and your dream and your purpose and get you in a vulnerable state so that he can come in because Satan doesn't want to defeat you. Everybody look at me for one second. Satan's objective today is not to defeat you. He has one objective and that's destroy you. Because if he can destroy you, he removes you forever and he removes the testimony that you've left behind and it destroys everything. So let's look at this today. You see, regardless of who you are, how strong you are, how many battles you've won, there will come a time in your life, and this isn't gloom and doom, I'm putting you down in a pit right now, but I'm fixing to resurrect you, okay? But I'm wanting to get real with you today and quit, let's don't come in here and act like everything's wonderful when it's not. Because anybody besides me got some stuff going on in your life right now that's just not wonderful, come on. Some stuff that's keeping you praying harder than you would normally pray. There's some stuff trying to take your joy. There's still some stuff that's trying to steal your faith in God. There's still some stuff going on that's making you question and wonder if God's even on your side. Come on, I know I'm preaching to the right church this morning. and We're all in that battle. We're all in that conflict. But then there's a persistency of the enemy and, and then we come in and we realize that in the midst of that persistency that there's a limit to our endurance And when we start understanding the limit of our endurance, we begin to recognize that there's a weakness in our character because it's in conflict that our character gets challenged. Amen, preacher. It's in conflict. You slap me, do I slap you back? You talk about me, am I going to respond in love or am I going to respond in your nature instead of mine? The weakness of our character, the name Ishpemunab, the son of the giant, means the one on the mountain. The one on the mountain. This is the part of minding your character that we would rather not talk about even though we still know it's there. That one that we want to suit up and perfume up and make up over and and come to church and how are you doing? I'm fine, I'm wonderful, life could not be better. You were crying in your car on the way to church. That part of our weakness that we know is there and we just don't want to identify and be honest about it. There's still some addictions going on, though we are praying to God that we would be free. And there's still some, some pornography that we're, we're tampering with. And there's still some hate that's still inside of our spirit. And, and there's still some unforgiveness, which, by the way, is unfulfilled revenge. And that's one of our lessons we'll be coming up to in a few weeks. And that we, we've got to come and realize that every one of us Have this, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, the sin, singular the sin which so easily besets and that word means to ambush as I said earlier and how many would acknowledge with me today that we go on this journey with God and we're doing wonderful and we're fine and then all of a sudden another battle comes another conflict comes here he comes again persistently and he takes us right back to that same area that he's had an open door in for generations to come in our family lineage and we got to realize that in every one of us there's a place that we're vulnerable There's a giant that you can't kill. And the reason he's not dead yet is you can't kill him and you didn't know how to get him killed by somebody else. And I want to help you today on this journey. You see, as we come and look at this, we have a ministry here called Pastor to Pastor for falling and hurting pastors. I get an average somewhere between two and four calls a week from pastors all over the nation. They call, they're in moral failure, they're they're hurt, they're, they're giving up. They're burnt out, they're tired. And here's what I found, that the vast majority of these men that are falling morally, they're not in their 20s and their 30s where their hormones are flying out the window. They're in their 50s and 60s and 70s with 20 and 30 and 40 years of marriage with them and ministry that has flourished and all of a sudden they're falling in moral failure. You wanna know why? They're tired. They're weak, they're vulnerable, they're wore out, and they never knew what it was like to deal with that true weakness in their heart. We had to hide it so nobody would know the real me. We couldn't go ask somebody for help, thus we would be thrown away with everybody else. And so we hide and we try to deal with this weakness over and over and over. But I'm here to tell you today, my friend, there's some things in your life that you will never defeat by yourself. You're going to have to get honest. That's why small groups are so important. But you're building relationships and accountability with some people that you can get one-on-one with somebody and go, I've got an issue, and I trust you to help me through it. And so let's move on for a second, because not only did David have a problem, but he had a solution. Now we're going to get you out of the pit, all right? I've got you depressed right now, so I'm going to resurrect you. Thank you. But how many will acknowledge me today, there's still a battle going on in my life. Come on, be honest with your preacher here. I'm with you. I got both hands raised. There's still a battle going on. But God has a solution to your giant. He had a solution to David's. He's got a solution to yours. This is the second Samuel. Read it with me. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid. And in the other context, the word is secured. Secured him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. That God had a man set up called Abishai. And in your notes, you'll see it. The first thing that he did was Abishai secured, secured David. And what that word secured there means is that Abishai stood between David and the giant. How many's had those friends go, I got your back? Uh, I got your back, man. You don't have nothing to worry about. I've got your back. Listen, when I'm in warfare, I don't need you covering my back. That's not where the knives are coming. That's not where the insults are coming. That's not where the attacks are coming. They're coming from here. I don't need you behind me. I don't need my back covered. That's why God never gave us a piece of spiritual equipment to guard our back. Because the battle's not in your back. It's in your front. I don't need you behind me. I need somebody to get in front of me. And Abishai secured David. He stood between David and the giant and said, He is not your problem any longer. I've become your issue. David is not the one you need to be concerned. Concerned about? I'm the one that you need to be secure. That you need to be worrying about. I am now coming to His aid. Can I tell you that's exactly what Jesus did? He that knew no sin became sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God. That when we couldn't fight for ourselves, when the battle was so strong and the enemy had us, and we were a slave to that addiction, we were a slave to that alcohol, we were a slave to that perversion, we were slave to our failure. We were a slave to our defeat, uh, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Uh, He didn't have our back. He stood between us and the devil and said, Dan's not your issue any longer. I've become your issue. I've become your problem. And Jesus defeated the enemy, and he killed the giant in my life that I could not kill myself. And today, no matter how big your giant is, Jesus is bigger. And I wanna challenge you today to stop letting those giants in your life keep controlling and defeating you when Jesus wants to be that Abishai in your life. And you need Jesus and you need other people in your life because Jesus was the one who stood in the gap and became our Abishai. He secured us from the attack of the enemy. And the Bible said that Abishai smote the sun of the giant, and he killed him. And so let's look at that today. Number three is David's armor bearer. David's armor bearer. Because the word Abishai, the name Abishai, means a gift from God, a gift from God. And why do we stress small groups so much around here? Why do we encourage every one of you to get into a small group and connect We've got so many small groups. We've got freedom small groups that help you get free from addictions and things. We've got just communicating small groups. We've got games and fun small groups. We've got Bible study small groups. Why do we push that so much? That's how Jesus started the first church. They met in the temple and had church, but that wasn't enough. Then house to house, they broke bread together, and Jesus added to the church daily such as should be saved, not on the Sunday morning service, but in the houses. And they built fellowship, and they became relational And they found some Abishai's in their world that could help them through the struggles of life. And here we see that David had an armor bearer, a gift from God. He had no desire to be the giant killer number two. He wasn't killing this giant so that he could now be famous and popular. He said, my brother, my friend, my leader's in trouble and you'll not touch him. You've got to go through me first. And as a 12-year-old boy, I went through a horrible Horrible situation. Always visiting my grandmother in Quincy, Florida in the summer and holidays. Always had a love for the woods. And one day I was out as a 12-year-old boy just shooting a twenty-two rifle. And I came up on three guys that, that were raping a young girl. And I ran and they caught me. They saw me and caught me and they brought me back and they tied me to a tree. And for almost three hours, I watched three men do everything humanly possible to a young girl. Not only that, then they came over and found some iron, they lit it under a lighter and they began to stick it into my body, which I bear the scars today. They laughed while I screamed. They took a pistol and took the bullets out except one and they put it in and three times played Russian roulette with me. Terrified, crying, screaming, I'm tied to a tree and they eventually left and took the girl with them and I tied myself eventually and went to my grandmother's house and hid in the back room cried, and I built a wall up unconsciously that said, no one will ever get close enough to hurt me like that again. And I built a wall between me and my wife, me and my children, me and God, that I knew him as Lord, and I knew him as provider, and I knew him as Savior, but he couldn't get close enough to me to be a father. And for 26 years, I carried hate and anger in my life that I was rage, I was full of rage, uncontrollable rage. I just had to hit something, hit somebody. I'd fight anybody, didn't care for one won or lost. Just hate and rage and anger inside of me. 26 years Satan waited and just kept that thing going on in me. And then at age 38, my world fell apart and I began to have nightmares that were reliving that that point in my life and I would wake up, my wife would tell you, I'd wake up in the middle of the night screaming sweat all over me because now my 15-year-old daughter had become that girl in my nightmares. And I'm watching my daughter be molested and, and beat to death by three men and, and, and I wound up on three heart monitors 24 hours a day. I lost everything in my life except my wife, my children, my house and a handful of friends and everybody else a walled on me. Things were said and told. My wife and I got calls from all over the country. We were here, y'all divorced, and that Kathy had an affair, Dan had, we heard everything, man. I mean, every kind of crazy stuff that could be said was being said. People that I thought would take a bullet for me had their finger on the trigger and was pulling it. People that I thought were my friends were pointing fingers in my face and saying, we'll see you and your family homeless and on the street. And I wasn't sure that wasn't gonna happen. God sent me a man A man that I had just recently met at that time didn't know much about him. But he started showing up at my house every day. And he said, the Holy Spirit told me to come and be with you. He came every day. When I didn't want him to come, that suburban would pull up. (laughs) Because I just wanted to be mad right now. I wanted to be mad. My my family's been hurt. I wanted to be mad. Here he had come. Sometimes it was in the morning. Sometimes it's in the middle of the day. I couldn't even go outside my house. I was withering away to nothing. I couldn't eat. I couldn't pray. I couldn't do nothing. He would come at midnight. He would come three in the morning. Whenever the Holy Spirit spoke to him, Dan needs you right now. But every day for months and months, probably over a year, this man came to my house and he would walk in my living room. He'd say, We're going to pray. I go, I don't want to pray. Well, we're going to pray. And he'd start praying, and he wouldn't quit praying until I started praying with him. And he'd start walking me around my house, through the hallway, and it wasn't long, man, the Holy Spirit would start showing up, and prayer would break loose in my house. He'd come over two in the morning, three in the morning, I'd see that suburban, because I couldn't sleep, I was always in the living room, I'd see his lights pull up, and I'd like, dear Jesus, will you take him back home? I, don't, I can't deal with him tonight. And he'd knock on that door until I'd open it he knew I didn't want him there. But God told him to come. He'll say, we're going to worship a while. Singing is the last thing on my mind right now. You get me, brother? The last thing on my mind. Well, we're going to worship. He ain't the best singer in the world. But anyway, he would start worshiping. And, and here we'd go. Same thing, man. The spirit would start falling in my house. and. And one day I was literally having a heart attack. I was in the bedroom laying on the bed and, and, and I had a heart attack and I was trying to yell to Kathy and, 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 and I fell off the bed on the floor and, and I couldn't even get my voice out. And he had a farm and he was in his mud boots out there in that farm. We had white carpet, white cabinets, white walls, everything in our, we weren't too smart back then, but everything in our house was white. And, and he's out in his farm, and, and the Holy Spirit said, Dan's in trouble, and he flies over to my house, and he rings the doorbell, and, and they told me this story, Kathy did, and, and, and he, he goes, Pastor Dan, where is he? And she said, he's asleep, and he goes, no, he's not, he's in trouble, the Holy Spirit told me to get over here right now, and he didn't take his boots or nothing off, he come flying across that white carpet into that back bedroom, found me on the floor, he went down, picked me up off that floor, laid me on the bed, He stripped me down to my boxers. It's okay. He stripped me down to my boxers. He told Kathy, get some oil. She went in the kitchen, got a bottle of oil, and for over three hours, that man prayed for me in the spirit. He broke that curse of the enemy that had come against my body and my mind, and Jesus brought a healing in my heart. He stood with me. He took bullet after bullet for me because you see, when you become an Abishai, when you secure someone and you stand in front of them, and I go through it with pastor to pastor all the time, when you secure someone, you take on their name. You take on their guilt. You take on their transgression. You take on their shame. You take on their accusation, true or not. You become as guilty as people think they are, but they're worth it to you because he that knew no sin became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God. And that man took bullet after bullet. He was disowned by many people in this town because he stood for me. But today... This church exists. I'm in the ministry today, and Transformation Church exists today because of my Abishai and my angel. And he's here today as my guest, the Apostle Ross Knight. Will you thank him and give honor? Come here, Pastor, come on up. Pastor Brad's gonna help you. Come on, he deserves more than we can offer him. I love this guy. I love this man. We love you, brother. Every person in this building, in both services, in the back building, everything that we see here, everything we'll ever be here is because of this man and his willingness to stand when nobody else would stand. We love you and we greatly appreciate you. Amen. God bless you. Love you, brother. I wanted to bring him up so they could see him on live stream. You better have an Abishai in your life. You better have somebody besides Jesus. I know that sounds sacrilegious, but it's not sacrilegious. Jesus said a three-strand cord is not easily broken. Confess your faults one to another. You better have some people in your life that you can sit down with and go, I'm not having a good day. Because he would come to my house and he'd say, pray, i would say, prayer's the last thing on my mind. You're asking me to pray to the God that I'm ticked off with right now. I don't really have anything good to say to him right now. Come on, folks, don't look at me like deer in headlights. You know you've been there too. <laughs> I'm asking you to supply my need and I ain't seeing nothing yet. You gotta realize today, you need some people in your world need some people in your life that's gonna stand in the gap because my last question is this. What happened to the guy with the shield? Because not only did David have an armor bear, but so did Goliath. It's right in the scripture. Read it with me and we're gonna go quickly. But look at it. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor, of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung in his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. And watch this, his armor or his shield bearer went ahead of him. Because even the giant had an armor bearer. He had a shield bearer and his job was to go ahead of the giant and block off any weapon that would come against the giant, the shields bearer's job was to block it off. Listen to me today. If the shield bearer had done his job, David would have never killed Goliath. And my question today is how many dead corpses of good people are filling our churches and filling our parking lots that came to the house of God they came looking for an answer because my wife's a witness right now. I went to people when I knew that my world was falling apart. I went to big preachers, big name preachers, people that I knew preached hard. And I said, I'm hurting, I'm broken inside, I'm a wreck. I'm full of hate and rage. And, and everybody just put an arm around me and I'm not blasting anybody. I'm saying they didn't understand. And, and they would say, oh, the anointing of God is on your life, Pastor and You're preaching all over the nation, all over the country. God's anointing on your life. It's gonna be okay when it wasn't okay. There was a giant, a monster inside of me that wasn't letting go. And I had to be free. And God loves you too much to let you go, and He loves you too much to let you get by. And He'll put you in situations if you force it. I' forced. This to happen in my life because my pride and my ego wouldn't let me deal honestly with the struggles that I was happening. I was too afraid to talk to the right people because I was afraid of rejection. So I can handle this. I can handle this. No, it'll handle you. I'm talking to you today as your pastor. It'll handle you. I don't care how tough. I don't care how many weights you can lift. I don't care how many battles you've won in the past. Satan doesn't mind waiting because if you don't deal with this monster that's in your life, this giant that continually comes to torment and destroy you, if you don't get him destroyed, he will destroy you. Jesus came, bore our sins in his body on the cross. He secured us through Calvary. That's why he hung so that the enemy has no control or authority in mind in your life today. And today I wanna challenge you as I challenge myself that we become faithful. The most important gathering in this church is not Sunday morning, it's Saturday morning. The most important gathering in this church is when we come in here and meet to pray on Saturday mornings for today. And we gather and we pray And they gather around me and they gather around Pastor Brad and they pray over us as the pastors and they cover us and they secure us and our families. And and we pray over every one of our coaches and every one of our dream teamers. We lift you up to God and ask God's anointing and covering over you. And we pray for your lost family and we pray for your lost friends that God would just wake them up in the midnight hour and draw them into this house that if he can fill an ark, he can fill the church. And we pray and we secure and we secure and we secure and we bring aid because I don't care how good we get up here, it'll never be good enough to kill the giants in your life. But if I get before God and we begin to secure each other, we'll watch victory and liberty and freedom begin to flourish. Satan's defeated in every life. So the question comes to this, what would happen? Because again, how many would raise a hand and go, there's some some dysfunction going on in my world. Come on, help me in here. There's still some attacks, man. I'm not gonna lie to you, Brad would be lying to you, Kathy would be lying to you, Ashley would be lying to you if we got up here and said we still don't get angry with Javen, that we still don't have questions, that there's days that our faith isn't at rock bottom when we knew it needs to be at mountaintop high. We'd be lying to you. But what would happen if God took a, a church full of people with some issues? It's not the first time he did it. If you go to Judges 20, verse 16, there's another story. It's not in your notes. There's another story where David, because you see, David knew what it was like to be dysfunctional. He knew what it was like to be handicapped, to be disqualified. And the Bible there says that David took 700 left-handed men that could throw a stone and hit a hair and never miss. But when you study that scripture out, The scholars say they weren't born left-handed because the word left-handed in the original writing there means crippled, handicapped, disqualified from battle. They were born right-handed, but in battle they had become injured and lame and disqualified and no one would let them fight in their army any longer. They were just thrown away. But David, the thrown away, the failure, the mix-up, The disqualified went and took 700 disqualified men and took them out on the side of the mountain and said, you still got a left hand left. Throw that stone and they couldn't even hit the hill. But he kept taking them out every day. Remember last Sunday's message? Every day, every day, every day. And they could start hitting the mountain. Then they could hit a bush. Then they could hit a tree. Then they could hit a limb. And they become so accurate that they could hit a a hair and never miss. And 700 disqualified men became the greatest, most feared army to ever fight under David's leadership. Come on here today, church. I'm telling you today, if you and I will come together with all of our stuff, and say Jesus, I'm trusting you today. I'm getting honest with my anger. I'm getting honest with my addiction. I'm getting on. this is a monster. This is a giant that I realize today the enemy has brought into my life to bring utter destruction, not to just defeat me, but to destroy me. But today, Jesus, I'm going to let you secure me, and I'm going to find that healing and that freedom and that deliverance in my life. In Jesus' name, Jesus wants to do that for you today. Pray with me, Father pray over this house right now. How many in this building right now you say, Pastor Dan, I'm a Christian, but man God's put a thumb on an area of my life today that the enemy continually and persistently has used to bring defeat and destruction in my life and I know exactly what it is, but today I'm going to let Jesus bring a miracle in my life. Come on, who will raise your hand and go I know exactly why Jesus brought this message today. I know exactly the area that he's talking about in my life today. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray right now, God, that you bring a healing and a deliverance and a freedom in the life of every person here today, God, that that there's a giant that's come against them, a giant who persistently comes against them, Father. I pray today, God, that you will let the Holy Spirit, God, just speak life, speak life and freedom. God, you that knew no sin, you became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. And I pray that over every person here today. How many here today, you would say, Pastor Dan, I'm not a Christian right now. Someone invited me, I came on my own. Right now, I'm not a believer. I know Jesus is real, but I I haven't committed my life to him, but I want to today. Pray for me. I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna come to you. I wanna pray a prayer for you. If that's you, would you slip a hand right where you sit? You can put it right back down. But you say, I need Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else, maybe online, maybe live stream, you need to pray today. You need Jesus in your life. We want to pray for you also. Jesus loves you. God bless you, ma'am. Anyone else? If you raise your hand or you did not, and you need Jesus in your life, will you pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today. You said in your word, if I just come to you, confess, I can believe and I can receive you. So right now, Jesus, I come to you. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I believe in my heart you raised from the dead, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, according to your word, I'm saved. I'm a brand new person. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, will you join me and celebrate? With these that are prayed today.